The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along, October 7th, 2022. It is 3 p.m. North American Eastern Time, 4 p.m. in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, 4.30 p.m. in Newfoundland, 8 p.m. in London, 9 p.m. in Paris, 10 p.m. in Kiev. Or Kiev, you're supposed to elongate the E uh, so much that you push yourself into the adjoining time zone, which is 10.30 p.m. in Tehran, midnight in Tashkent, half past midnight in Sri Lanka, where over 15% of the population is said to be in danger of starving to death. Midnight 45 in Kathmandu, 3 a.m. in Singapore, 4 a.m. in Goyang, birthplace of the world-renowned South Korean illustrator Kim Jong-gi, who died suddenly, died suddenly this week at the age of 47 at an airport while waiting to board his flight to New York. It's 6 a.m. in Sydney, where Jason Lee Barber's parents lived and died without him because he was prevented by Australian lockdown regulations from returning to the country Uh, So the lockdown was eventually lifted and he flew into Sydney and committed suicide in Heffron Park. 8 a.m. in Auckland and an even more convivial hour for the kippers and kedgery in our turbulent world. We have breaking news. White House sources have walked back. You have to do a lot of walking back with Joe Biden because he can barely walk forward. Uh, White House sources have walked back the throwaway aside of Joe Biden that we are on the brink of nuclear Armageddon. He was just giving us a heads up. Nice of him to do that. Uh, the old joke, of course, is Armageddon out of here, but Joe Biden can't even do that, as you'll know if you've seen him try to get off a stage recently. Uh, we have the purported leader of the free world warning us warning us of uh, nuclear Armageddon. Is that good? Is that good for turnout uh, in the midterms? Uh, does it, uh, what does it do to Democrats in swing states, uh, that particular thing? You know how this works. Uh, anybody, uh, the, the nearly 8 billion people across the planet, uh, most of whom are conveniently within range to listen because they're at the Rio Grande just waiting for the next uh, skiff to free up so they can get over. Um, Anybody of those 8 billion is free to listen. You just have to be a Mark Stein club member if you want to ask a question. So if you don't want to ask a question, 
Uh, you have no need to join the club, but we thank those who do, even those we hear from somewhat fitfully, such as Richard Mallaby, who says, Afternoon, Mark. Been a while, bat as always. I love the club. After the past two years of lockdown, masking, inflation, fentanyl deaths, etc., what will the average Democrat voter be thinking when he votes for an incumbent Democrat next month? I get why their party has been banging the table on abortion, Because what else would they want to talk about? Is that really enough to justify two years of crap? Does this voter not see a direct correlation between his vote two years ago and how that was pretty much the moment the world went to hell? Or is this voter so jaded by the media that he truly believes all these problems just happened to the Dems and are not their fault? Thank you. Um, Well, you know... uh, It's actually very hard. What you're saying is, um, are Democrats going to the polls next month ready to admit that they're suckers uh, who've been played for rubes, that they're the designated fall guy? And I think that's a very difficult thing to get people to... uh, to face up to. I can't remember who it was who said it's far easier to fool someone than to persuade someone he has been fooled. But generally, that's true. If you look at, um, well, to take something we talk about a lot uh, on the Mark Stein show on GB News, the, the COVID vaccines, for example, uh, the people we interview, the people we have on, a lot of them, you know, have been bereaved by the vaccines. So they've got a very uh, good reason to change their mind because the vaccine killed their husband or their parent or their child. So it's natural to turn on it and hate it. But if you're what's interesting to me is among the vaccine injured, for example, there are people who have been given catastrophic injuries and still uh, in say, oh, but I think the sensible thing for everybody else to do is still to get another jab. I mean, okay, my life is ruined and I'm permanently crippled, but 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 you should still do the responsible thing and get the next jab. It's very hard for people to admit that... I mean, for example, what we're asking people to do with a lot of this vaccine stuff is to say, uh, look, you you agreed to do something. And yes, you agreed to do it because Joe Biden and Stephen Colbert and all these cool people were putting a lot of pressure on you to do it. Um, And so you fell for their cool. And as a result, you've got Guillain-Bear syndrome or Bell's palsy or uh, blood clots all over your body. And it's and 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 any of those if you haven't been injured, uh, but you've just got like some extra blood clots that could just ping up and kill you at any time or whatever. It's actually very hard for people to admit I've been suckered. Now, when you extrapolate that to the general scene, you're you're really asking me, Richard, how many people are going are willing to be prepared to admit at the polls that they've been suckered, and uh, that's generally a small number. and And our politics has become so attitudinal now. That's to say, it's become it's not as the bigger government gets the less it's about nuts and bolts things you know when when you have small government 
It's about defense of the realm and uh, and foreign policy and uh, trading environment and very basic things. The bigger it gets, the more attitudinal it gets. And people are invested in their attitudes. So if they're saying, so what you have to calculate is the precise point at which the cost of filling up your car uh, <laughs> causes you to weaken in your commitment to trans rights. Because that's what it is. You're really asking about the point at which reality kicks in, which is, which is a fascinating... The point, the point at which, uh, for example, uh, the, the housing market is uh, in trouble across the river from me in the Green Mountain state of Vermont, uh, not just across the river, mainly in the inhabited parts of Vermont, uh, the Burlington area, because Burlington has gone to crap since Burlington, which used to be, I mentioned this last week, used to be cited by David Brooks, the House conservative at the New York Times, as the perfect shishi little post-political latte town where politics had been eliminated and you just talked about where you were going to put the new bike path. And then uh, COVID hit and the, basically, the the downtown was abandoned to the quote unquote homeless. So they've now got stabbings and shootings every night there. Uh, that was a booming real estate market, particularly during the lockdown, because all the New Yorkers fleeing New York were buying rusting double wides uh, hard up by the Quebec border, you know, for half a million dollars, uh, because they just wanted to get out of New York. Now that's that's all sagging. So you you you're we're trying to calculate the point at which boring aspects of reality, like how much it costs to gas up your car and uh, how much your house has to be worth for you to be able to sell it and buy some retirement property in the Sunbelt or whatever. And and the, the fact is, Democrats, you know, I don't I'm not sure we're quite there yet. And I'll, I'll say the other thing that factors into this. For example, if you work for the government, um, whether it's federal, state, county, whatever, these last few years have been great. You haven't lost a penny. It's not like owning a hair salon. It's not like owning a restaurant where you can't open Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because uh, there are only seven waitresses left in the state. It's not like that at all. You haven't lost a penny. You're doing great. Uh, so we've got that, the government class. Now in, a, in a big government state like New York, big blue states, that's a that's millions and millions of people. The Republic and they all vote Democrat. And the Republicans have to get uh, basically just have to they have to get millions of votes just to tie with all the bureaucrats before they can then compete for who's left. Uh, then you look at start to look at who's left. Uh, there's the laptop classes, the people who have these strange non-job jobs where you can sit at home with your laptop and uh, you don't have to worry about going into the office or anything. And they're generally okay too. And then you have the dependent classes and the dependent classes are still pretty much okay. Uh, in terms of being willing to vote for uh, the Democrats. So the arithmetic here is more stacked than you might think. I remember uh, President Bush saying to me many years ago, 
I was asking him about waning support for the war on terror. And he said to me, well, what you have to remember is that um, 25% of the country is opposed to any war. And I said, what do you mean any war? Uh, and he said, that's any war. It doesn't matter what the war is. They're opposed to it. They're just opposed to all war, any war. And I pressed him. I said, what, if the Bahamian Navy uh, invaded Miami or the Princess Patricias decided they were going to take Montana? He said, yeah, they'd be opposed to that war, too. Twenty-five. This is the president. Not that long after 9-11, which is, I know, a long time ago. But he said 25 percent of the country is opposed to any war. So that means you have to win two-thirds of the people who are left. And it's, it's a bit like that. In a lot of these states, the arithmetic is a bit like that. You know, the, the bureaucrats, the dependent classes, um, the laptop classes are all going to vote Democrat. So Everybody, I think, is thinking about blue-collar Democrats who are screwed. Wait, and they're saying, wait a minute, I'm like, a, I'm like a Lunch Bucket Joe from Scranton pretends to be. I, am, I am, actually am Lunch Bucket Fred. I'm not just some rich guy owned by China pretending to be Lunch Bucket Joe. I'm actually Lunch Bucket Fred from Scranton. There's a, there, how many of those Democrats are actually left willing... And and again, we get we get to there are some and there are some millions of them uh, getting them to admit their uh, that they thought that America was rich enough that the rubbish, the open borders, the trans insanity, the lost wars, a brain dead chief executive mumbling about nuclear Armageddon, that all the rubbish, we were rich enough to be able to afford all the crap, the stupidity. Uh, that's actually uh, quite a, that's a closer call than you might think. Timothy McDonald says, I'm very appreciative of you consistently bringing up the issue of the grooming gangs in the UK because it is an existential issue for British. Uh, by the way, let me just, before I move on to Timothy's question. I want to just say one more thing about this. You know, we now got all this Hunter Biden stuff in the news. Um, and there's a reason for that. The only reason it's in the news is because the Washington Post, which is a Democrat mouthpiece, uh, uh, was leaked stuff by the FBI, who are Democrat shock troops. So the only reason this story is even out there is because factions of the Democrat Party have concluded that it serves their purposes. So when I'm tootling around and I'm listening to some of these American talk uh, show hosts, I'm watching them on, on TV, who think it's a real thing, who think, oh, that's great, I've been waiting for the Durham Report! And... Uh, Durham's gone a bit quiet since he flopped out in court. Uh, so they need something else <laughs> to get them panting. Oh, 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 what's that thing with you, Jane Birkin, Serge Gainsbourg, that orgasmic piece of music? It's been ages since they've had a Durham gasm. Uh, so then, oh, look at this. Hunter's about to be indicted. You fools. 
You complete stupid idiots. If you seriously think any member of... Uh, Joe Biden, again, he just said it out loud. He's reached that stage of dementia where all the normal social restraints have gone and he's uh, just using profanities to random members of the public when he said to the guy, you don't F with a Biden the other day down in Florida. Yeah, you don't F with a Biden. The point, the point about the Hunter Biden thing is they're talking about, oh, some, he didn't pay his taxes in this year or that year. Oh, and he, uh, and he may have lied on an application to buy a gun. Okay, are you so naive after Benghazi and the Durham report and all the rest that you seriously think Hunter Biden is going to serve a day in jail? Of course he's not. He's going to copper. He's going to do it for a start. Uh, unless you're uh, highly principled, uh, like my old boss, Conrad Black, you never take a federal case into court because the dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt federal Department of Justice wins 97% of its cases without even going to court. Okay, so maybe all the smart guys, I mean, I, I do weary of the rube right, but maybe all the smart guys will uh, be saying, oh, Hunter's going to copper play, right? 97% of federal cases are settled without going to court. So he's going to cop a plea. And the plea won't involve him doing a, a day in jail, but it will enable the Department of Justice to say, oh, we prosecute people without fear or favor. Why, we even went after the sitting president's son. And that may be why we're going to tie up the previous president in court for the next 10 years. It's corrupt. I listen to these idiots talking about the Department of Justice as if it is the Department of Justice in Norway. It's not. It's a corrupt dump. It's corrupt from top to toe. The FBI, I just retweeted on my Twitter feed. <coughs> Pardon me. Getting too waked, worked up. Don't want to do the Constitution waving bit. But... Uh, Lisa Booth, a wonderful, um, talented person at Fox News. Uh, Lisa has a fabulous podcast. She's a brilliant, talented person. And she, she, she retweeted, and I retweeted her tweet, or what, I don't know, or she quote tweeted, I don't know, I, whatever you call it. But the, uh, she tweeted the FBI with guns drawn going to the home of a pro-life couple as they're getting their kids ready for the school run. They picked the time of day deliberately, like we did, uh, like the story we ran over in London of the, uh, of the woman, the vicar's wife, who, uh, who got uh, the uh, coppers coming round to the door. But in this case, it's the FBI. So they come round with guns drawn in the paramilitary gear. This isn't policing. It isn't policing at all. It's nothing to be proud of if you're a grown man. And this woman is very brave because the calculation you have to make whenever you have any interaction uh, with these guys is, oh, are they going to shoot me and then claim I was resisting arrest? So she's demanding to know their name. She's filming them. She's following them out. The door. These are big men with guns, and she's the little lady who's being terrorized by them because she's pro-life. 
and yet we're still... Oh, well, yes, I'm a bit stunned by that. The, the, uh, I'm recalibrated. I used to serve 99% of them a straight-shooting demon, and now it's gone down maybe to 95% of them a straight... I haven't seen anyone. I haven't seen anyone in any of these raids all over the map who behaves like a policeman would in a civilized society. So all you constitution waverers, the constitution has enabled the creation of a rogue, politicized, personal police force for one party. They serve the interests of the Democrat Party, whether the Democrat guy is in the Oval Office or not in the Oval Office. You know, so they do Joe Biden's bidding when Joe Biden's there. And then in the event that uh, some guy like Trump winds up in there, they work to undermine him. Flying off to uh, to uh, London to interview the Australian High Commissioner about his interaction with uh, the uh, whatever his name was, uh, Papadopoulos or, or whatever, um, it's dirty, it's rotten, it's corrupt, and it's well-armed. And that is the point. When you have a corrupt federal police agency, when you have a corrupt Department of Justice, when you have a corrupt Bureau of Prisons, when you have a corrupt and militarized revenue agency, uh, you know, you don't need a lot else. So pretending, and again, we see election results all over. Oh, oh, look at this uh, in Italy. What a oh, Italy! Everybody's running there. Oh, it, fascism returns to Italy. Well, say what you like about it, but at least uh, the polls closed at seven p.m. and they could tell you that fascism had returned to Italy by ten p.m which is the way it's meant to work. But the United States, which is the most advanced and developed society on Earth and is the economic powerhouse of the planet, can't tell you uh, uh, who won an election without it staggering on for days or even months, like in that uh, constituency up uh, near the, uh, the, the uh, St. Lawrence in uh, upstate New York. Don't you find that? Uh, just, uh, just, I'm just saying. Don't you find that a little odd? This is a uh, this this is a bureaucracy so evolved that it can watch in real time by drone uh, the U.S. consulate in Benghazi, even as as they abandon its staff to their fate at the hands of jihadists. It can it can uh, track uh, the uh, downtown Kabul and identify the most photogenic moppets in Afghanistan and blow them to smithereens, even as they're scuttling out the door. But somehow it has yet to be able to devise an election system where they can tell you the result. Uh, you know, if it's a, if it's a fairly uh, decisive victory, uh, the polls close at seven. They can tell you who won at nine or ten. Uh, if it's closer, the polls close at seven. They can tell you who won. If they don't have a system like that, it's by choice. And the Democrats choose not to have a system like that because it is their advantage to have it. And I would again, I would remind you of the great Neil Oliver uh, summation of all this, that when all this stuff is happening, it's because they want it to happen. 
And in American terms, that means that, you know, uh, $6 a gallon gas is what they want. Why? Because they don't think you should have a car. They think you'd be much better off uh, walking down to the bottom of the hill and waiting for the three buses a day that go by, if you're lucky. That's what they want for you. This is happening because it's what... So we, I listen to... It, it's a weird thing because um, in some ways the conversation in the United States is just nowhere... Oh, you know, Joe Biden. Look at what, he's, look at what the Democrats are doing. Uh, this, they're incompetent, completely incompetent people. They just uh, they don't know how to get a hold of the border. Blah, 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 blah. No, this is happening to you because they want it to happen to you. They're doing it to you. This is what's so ridiculous about some of these stupid, shallow uh, commentators uh, who make a very nice living. But I, other than that, I don't actually see what the point of the so-called movement is other than that. Uh, Timothy McDonald says, I'm very appreciative of you consistently bringing up the issue of the grooming gangs in the UK because it is an existential issue for British civilization. What marks a great civilization is about how it provides for the future generations, not just the present ones. What sets your show apart from others is that your show is proactive rather than merely reactive to current events in the news. Uh, will you write a book on the grooming gang subject? I I don't know about that. I would encourage, I would certainly be willing to help some of the uh, young ladies I've come to know who've been the victims of these monsters uh, write their books. And indeed, I do recommend Sammy Smith's uh, wonderful book on the subject. But you're quite right. Um, a great civilization. In, in fact, any functioning society really is a compact between the past, the present and the future. And if you notice on the left, they've accepted that there is no future. I mean, for example, the historic American nation, as the chaps over at uh, vdare.com say, I think that's their phrase. Uh, but the left have basically accepted that, uh, that that's going to be out of business in a generation or two by mid-century. Uh, and so if the right talk about, you know, great replacement theory, then they're conspiracy theorists and they're racists. Uh, but if the left gloat and glory in it, that by mid-century, uh, the normal, I mean, and this is quite astonishing, actually, that, the, uh, that without war or plague, the... Uh, the composition, the demographic composition of some of the oldest nation states on earth will have been wholly transformed is actually uh, quite remarkable. People will be amazed that it happened and that people went along with it. Um, but but there but it goes it goes just beyond that too, which you know because every if you if you say things like oh, we're racist, this is the great replacement theory. Uh, we're allowed to talk about that. We're allowed to gloat and glory that all you old white men will be dead soon. That's why we're already taking down all your statues. But you can't talk about it. Um, that's that's. 
that's a, a given, not just in that sense, but they're telling us now. You know, uh, Macron even, who isn't usually prone to any of this stupid stuff on when it comes to race and wokeness, but he just said, oh, the, he basically said the age of, what did he say he called it? The age of consumption or the age of consumerism or what is over? The good times are over. That's what he said. Again, they keep telling us. This is why the Joe Biden nuclear Armageddon aside uh, rattled people who aren't usually rattled. They're not rattled when Macron tells us that the good times are over. They're not rattled uh, when these leaders, oh, yeah, no, we're going to have three-hour rolling blackouts uh uh, in uh, uh, pretty soon, in uh, in peak time, peak hours, because uh, we we got no electricity. We're all switching to electric cars, but we only have um, only have enough electricity for senior bureaucrats to have cars. So when when we say we're actually switching from uh, gasoline powered cars to uh, electric cars. What we mean is, that's what I'm doing. Uh, you're going to be walking. They're telling us this. They're telling us this. So, so we're in a very weird world where people are actually, you know, in, it's, the, it's the complete opposite of what politics used to be, which is that politics used to be about a chicken in every pot. Now they're saying you don't need the chicken because you don't have a pot. Uh, that's very, I mean, that is literally the case. No one's saying a chicken in every pot. They're saying you're going to be eating crickets. You're going to be eating crickets in your pot. Crickets in your pot. Uh, very weird, very weird, uh, very weird times. They're quite upfront about it. Again, that's uh, that's a great. We're, we're in. We've we've got a kind of uh, whatever they call it these days, a mass psychosis, where people have been trained to think that the sensible thing is to make things worse. And if you do that, if you're taught that from kindergarten, oh, you, yeah, your dad's car is destroying the planet. Oh, really? Oh, great. Oh, but the, you say uh, the good times are coming because he won't have a car. That's great. Fantastic. Ellen Como. Oh, a uh, fabulous, fabulous name from uh, our, uh, uh, when back when we used to, pre-COVID world, when we used to have live events. She was our token francophone. On the very first Mark Sam Cruz. Share Mark. Ah, share Ellen. Thank you for all you do. Uh, the content you provide entertains and educates far better than anything else I could listen to while driving to and from work. Driving to and from work. That's what we've been talking about, Ellen. You've got to cut that out. Merci beaucoup. Ah, non, non, non. Merci beaucoup à vous, très chère Ellen. Exactly four years ago today, some of us were in Boston, the last stop on the first Mark Stein Club Cruise. What a fantastic time we had. You will no doubt recall that earlier that week, the CAQ, the CAC, was elected to form the government of Quebec for the first time in its history. 
That's right, we, we had a little chat about that on board ship. Four years later, even after bungling their response to COVID with the highest death rate in all of Canada, even after imposing mask mandates, curfews and vaccine passports in churches, Costco, warehouses and liquor stores, they were handily re-elected with an even higher seat count than before. 90 seats compared to 74 previously. In conversations with co-workers, I predicted that if the CAC was re-elected, COVID would once again become front page news. There was a seventh wave. Is that, is that so? I think I stopped counting after the third wave. I haven't really followed the more recent waves. There was a seventh wave during the election campaign, but it made barely a peep in the media, and COVID measures would once again be brought back to the table. Sure enough, I just saw an article about a possible eighth wave in the Montreal Gazette. To what do you attribute this victory by the CAC? What makes it worse is that the only party that opposed the CAC's heavy-handed approach didn't manage to get a single MNA elected. That's a member of the uh, National Assembly, l'Assemblée Nationale. Uh, Quebec is actually merely a province in His Majesty's frosty dominion of Canada, but they like to pretend uh, that they're uh, like the French Republic, so they have their provincial parliament is called the Assemblée Nationale. Uh, The only party opposing the CAC's approach didn't get a single MNA elected, not even our good friend Dr. Roy Epen. Uh, despite garnering almost 13% of the vote. I would love to hear your thoughts. Sorry for rambling, but the result has truly upset me. Merci encore pour tout. Merci à vous, uh, cher Ellen. Look, you're right. Um, And I'm generally in favor of the Westminster system. But if you are getting 13% of the vote and you don't win a single uh, riding or constituency, or district, or whatever you call it, uh, then something's wrong. I mean, for purposes of comparison, uh, the uh, the triumphant fascists in Italy, Giorgia Maloney's party, got 25% of the vote. That's enough to make her prime minister, but 13% of the vote doesn't get you a single seat. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I understand that uh, if the Parti Populaire and my friend Maxime Beignet is a bit upset about that, he it's not without cause. I would I would I'd like to tell I can't I'm not sure I can grab the specific of the question, but uh, there was a question in from Alberta, where which is about to have a new premier. Uh, Jason Kenney, whom I know when you've seen him on the Mark Stein show. And uh, you may have seen him actually <laughs> standing in the queue for the Queen's lying in state where he, he could have pulled rank as the Queen's first minister in Alberta. But instead, he stood in line for 14 hours with all the riffraff on the south bank of the Thames, just with everybody else waiting to take his turn. Uh, for the Queen's lying in state. And Jason is the outgoing Premier of Alberta, and he will be replaced by Danielle Smith of the, whatever it was, the White Rose Party. I don't really know Dan. I met Danielle a couple of times, and she's a, a very, uh, very pleasant young lady, but I don't I don't really know uh, much about her. I know Jason rather well because he, whatever, whether you agree with him or disagree with him. He's very good company, so he's fun to have dinner with, and he's a 
uh, waspish, tart, waspish sense of humour, and so you can have a laugh uh, for two or three hours, which you can't do with most of the weird, creepy people who infest politics in America, Canada, the UK, and wherever else these days. But someone asked me what the difference... I can't find the... pull up the question here. Asked me what would be the difference between... Um, between Jason Kenney and this new person. Look, here's here's the thing. Um, everybody, it's you. You can't know who's going to hold the line against the crazy until it happens. A lot of people sound very persuasive. Uh, the CAC sounded persuasive when Ellen and I were talking about them. They sounded like a persuasive party, and then the COVID hit and. Uh, and a live and let live libertarian. They weren't a conservative party, but they they had a by in Quebec terms they had a libertarian tinge, and suddenly it's uh, it's panic stations. They don't want to know what to do. My kids, for part of the lockdown, got trapped uh, north of the border uh, just because they happened to be up there when their passports expired. All the passport offices are closed. So, you know, it took them a while to figure out how to sneak back and forth across the border uh, where you got to know where the, the border post, where the guy was a complete moron. So you handed him an expired passport and he just glanced at it and handed it back to you. Uh, but it took them a while to to get like that. The the curfew they introduced was actually worse than the curfew that France had under Nazi occupation. I think that's a fair comparison because we're talking about a francophone society. I think the second largest French city on earth, Montreal is. We're talking about a francophone society that imposes because of because of a coronavirus imposing is a worse curfew than uh, the uh, whatever they were. What was it by then? The Fourth Republic of France did during the se- uh, well, it wasn't the Fourth Republic, was it? it? Was the Nazi occupiers and then the Vichy regime down south? So they imposed a uh, a worse uh, curfew than the Nazis did in France during World War Two. And again, my kids, as I said, they were trapped up there, but they didn't really like it being stuck in some pokey little flat in Montreal, in the uh, you know where all the Prince uh, Rue, whatever it's called, Rue Prince Arthur. It's named after the Duke of Connaught, great man. Um, and it's where all the students live. And uh, so after after two, three days of that, they started figuring out where all the dark back alleys were uh, that they could trot out, sneak around through the back alleys, go over to see their friends, you know, three quarters of a mile away, have a grand old time whooping it up and then sneak back through all the back. So they, they treated the curfew with complete contempt. And God bless them, because I would have been ashamed of them if they hadn't. Um, but that was the so-called, you know, what was supposedly uh, supposed to be a uh, a, a non-statist uh, party had brought all that in. And Jason Kenney did something similar in Alberta. And one of the uh, the great lesson, the great lesson of the last few years is that generally, if you went in for all the COVID hooey, and you're on the left, it worked for you. 
Like it worked for uh, Justin Trudeau. It worked for Justin uh, Emmanuel Macron. It didn't work for Scott Morrison in Australia. It didn't work for Boris Johnson in London. Uh, if you were to pretend for a moment that America had honest elections, it didn't work for Trump either. But they all got buffaloed, even Trump, into going along with a lot of this stuff. And uh, and the electorate detected, and this that's why the Trump thing or the Boris thing of saying, oh, yeah, oh, yes, I know, I'm not really in favor of lockdown either, but I just think we ought to just do it for, you know, I think we'll be able, I think second quarter, what was Trump's line? Second quarter growth will be looking, I called him out on it. I think second quarter growth is going to be great if we just keep, I'm not, I'm not in fact, I want to lock down myself, but they're all saying you have to lock down. You know, it didn't work for the, the guys on the right because the public got that the the guys on the left were hot for it in a way that the guys on the right weren't quite all in. And that's what's interesting about the CAQ, because in Quebec terms, uh, uh, they basically shifted wholeheartedly to the left in a way that Trump certainly didn't, and even Boris Johnson didn't, and even Scott Morrison in Australia didn't. So the public public decided to reward left-wing parties that are hot for lockdown and not right-wing ones. And that's because, you know, safetyism, as uh, somebody or other called it, safetyism has now become the dominant ideology. If it saved just one life, well, it doesn't save any life. It killed, in fact, it killed more grannies than needed to die. We had a mountain of grannies and we kept throwing grannies on top of the pyre. Oh, yeah, but still, you know, safetyism, safetyism. It worked for the left, not for... Uh, the right. So, uh, uh, sorry about that, Ellen. I got a little carried away. We ought to do another cruise. We ought to do something uh, something else. We ought to have at least have a Christmas show or something uh, because uh, it would be... Because generally speaking, I don't get so heated and do my don't wave your constitution at me thing uh, when I'm uh, in there in person. I have to be a bit more personable. Uh, which is uh, which is generally better for everyone. But thank you, thank you, Ellen. Uh, great to hear from you. And we will someday, uh, as the Queen said, we'll meet again, or as they say in French, à la prochaine. Uh, time for our musical interlude, I think. Loretta Lynn died on Tuesday. At the age of 90, she was not just a singer, but a songwriter, and she had very strong ideas for songs. Don't come home a-drinking with loving on your mind, and you ain't woman enough to take my man. And she expanded the content and concerns of country songs. Uh, Rated X, The Pill. This one was written during uh, Vietnam, and she brought it back for Afghanistan and Iraq, and given Washington's addiction to endless unwon wars, it will surely be topical again. Dear Uncle Sam, I know you're a busy man. And tonight I write to you through tears with a trembling hand. My that call from you you said 
But you don't need him like I do Don't misunderstand I know he's fighting for our land I really love my country But I also love my man He proudly wears the colors Of the old red, white and blue Dear Uncle Sam, I just got your telegram, and I can't believe that this is me, shaken like I am, for it said, I'm sorry to inform you. And that's how it ends. And the radio stations didn't like it, but that's how the author, Loretta Lynn, and her producer, Owen Bradley, wanted it. Dear Uncle Sam, Miss Lynn's first top ten hit. It got to number four on the Billboard country charts in 1966, at the time when there were not a lot of uh, female singer-songwriters getting high up the chart. That's a phenomenon that we got used to in the late 60s and 70s, but was not that common uh, when Loretta Lynn was getting going. Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A live around the planet. Let us get back to your questions. Kelton says, hello, Mark. I find it more and more believable that the United States was involved with the Nord Stream pipeline situation. Presidential candidate Joe Biden promised to shut down the Keystone Pipeline and did so on his first day in the executive office. It was really that much of a stretch to believe his administration wouldn't approve of an attack on the Nord Stream Pipeline as well. Well, there's all kinds of assumptions in that, Kelton. When you say um, Joe Biden or his administration, you seem to think that there is a thing, such a thing as the Biden administration, that acts in his name. Now, if you just, if you look at the so-called Biden administration, the chief executive The chief magistrate of the United States supposedly uh, spends most of his time, uh, he he spends over 150 uh, days a year at his home in Baltimore. So he's basically spending half his year in the basement in Baltimore watching Angela Lansbury and Murder, She Wrote, and having tapioca. And that's a cheap joke. But the the thing is, you look at him and you know he can't... He can't function 
after they've pumped him with whatever they pump him full of and put him out on stage to get him through a short teleprompter address and then off the stage without making a fool of himself or introducing um, uh, somebody who died three months ago or uh, threatening nuclear Armageddon or whatever. So that we don't know who owns Joe Biden and who is really running that administration and who's what what again this brings us back to this total rubbish that the rube writer you know oh look uh, there's hey some uh, some uh, trump appointed judge uh, he might be bringing an indictment against hunter biden for some being late to delin- tax delinquency oh yeah if you've got a tax delinquency they're hiring 87,000 new armed agents to come round to your house and put a bullet in you uh, but when you're a uh, tax delinquent for years and years and years like hunter or you've uh, failed to disclose on your gun application that you're you're a coke addict, that you left your crack pipe on the passenger seat of a rental car. That's not, that's all going to be pleaded down to a couple of parking tickets and a small fine. Uh, but the the rube right now has got something it can talk about, you know. So so for for, for the next. Uh, uh, however long it they they string it out for, it's uh, it, they'll be able to talk about. Uh, oh yeah, the uh, the net is closing on Hunter Biden and his tax delinquencies. We've had some more leaks. The the FBI has leaked some more leaks. You know, to to the Washington Post, which used those leaks about Hunter Biden, mainly to keep mentioning Trump's name because Trump also has some tax issues, doesn't he? Doesn't he? So if if uh, you know to show the the Justice Department show that it's fair, if it were to indict and cop a plea and fine uh, Hunter, uh, maybe that just to show they they go where the evidence leads without fear or favor. Maybe it would also be right to jail Trump for thirty years. You know, the thing is, it's a corrupt crap dump, the Department of Justice. And its corruption seeps out. It's like if you've got a, uh, a, a, a septic tank that nobody ever cleans, eventually it sort of starts to bust and leak and infect adjoining aspects of the scene. And that is how it is with the dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt Federal Department of Justice. And to just to return to Kelton's thing about the Nord Stream pipeline, uh, the Swedes have claimed to have examined some of the broken parts of the pipeline and say that because this Danish island that is now all toxic is actually, uh, I think I explained this last week, it's the easternmost part of Denmark, so that it's actually east of Sweden, if you're looking at it on the map. It's just sitting there in the water. Uh, for uh, for historical reasons, um, but they've had a look at the the Swedes claim to have had a look at it and say there's explosives. They believe they've got found traces of explosives. So somebody did this. Now they say, oh, the Ukrainians they don't have the capacity to do this. They've been given sixty eight billion dollars by Joe Biden, so they've got the money to do pretty much anything they want because it's a dirt cheap country to run, Ukraine. I mentioned, I think I said, 
you know, you can get a hotel room for five, six euros a night. Uh, I, I, I was like a big tipper. I'd, so I'd hand a 10 over the desk and say, keep the change. And they all love me. Uh, so it's a hard country to spend $68 billion in legitimately. Uh, and as we now know, the United States government told the New York Times that it was the Ukrainian government that killed that 29-year-old uh, that lady in Moscow, blew up her car. So they've got the car. This is the United States government. I don't know. It could be a lie. But for whatever reason, the United States government is admitting that Ukraine has the capacity to blow up a car in Moscow, in which case it isn't that much of a leap to think they could blow up a pipeline in, uh, in the Baltic. So we don't know. We have no idea who did what, who did anything, because we don't know who the United States government is. This is the point. Of, I mean, again, the, who do they want to succeed? You know, there's two ways of looking at this. There's the, I mean, and again, Kelton, just to go back, you know, even when you are capable of running the government under the U.S. system, don't wave that constitution at me, under the U.S. system, uh, the head of the executive branch is allowed to be undermined by the executive branch. So that, for example, uh, the chief of staff, the chief, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, thoroughly modern Millie, actually tells people up front, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. I told the head guy in China that if Trump uh, ever decides he's going to launch uh, a war on China, I'd give the Chinese a heads up. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, thank goodness. Thank, thank God you have the courage to do that. That actually would be called treason in functioning systems. And the democratically accountable leader is being undermined uh, by the military. That's usually the thing where it's some generalissimo in reflector shades uh, strutting around, uh, not wanting the people's champion in Latin America to be able, you know, but it's all accepted and there's business as usual. And so we know that the FBI and the, uh, and the uh, chiefs of staff and all kinds of people are capable of going rogue on the president. So there's no reason Joe Biden shouldn't, would necessarily have been. In, in fact, I would bet that he wasn't involved in it. The fact is, we're now in a system where we, we don't know who's making these decisions at all. But the question is, you've got a, a, you've got a competence question here. Whoever it was, it's somebody's just blown up these pipelines that uh, were actually a major source of income for the Kremlin. So you you have to figure that if you think Putin did it, you can ex you have a, a a way of explaining the logic of taking that step. I haven't seen. I've seen all these people say, "Oh yeah, Putin." Putin did. Well, Putin blew up the pipe. Well, I haven't actually seen any logical explanation as to why he would do that. Secondly, it's an escalation. It, it means now 
as as uh, you know, if you certainly if you live not just in the European Union, but actually in greater Europe, so that in the UK they're talking about three hour uh, blackouts in prime time this winter. I'm not terribly happy about that because if you're not allowed to switch your TV on, the ratings for my GB News show might be going down a little bit. Um, so, so this this is an escalation. Why would you escalate? If you are Putin, what what is does this escalation mean and what comes next? What comes next? And if you're America and you did it or you're China and you did it, somebody I think said to me, they uh, asked a question about why couldn't it be Red China? And actually, I don't really think it is because their strategy is basically to take over the world without firing a shot. And they're very good at that. And they haven't made and they're happy to let all the conventional war and the conventional saber rattling be left to what they think of as the great bozo, which is America, and their uh, um, a, an occasionally useful attack dog such as Putin in the Kremlin, with whom they're happy to do a good cop, bad cop routine. But as to Chinese military assets actually blowing that pipeline up, I would find that uh, hard to see. But the, the thing is, someone blew it up. Why did they blow it up? Then we have, as, as I mentioned on uh, TV the other night, we've had more explicit nuclear talk from world leaders in the seven months of the Ukraine war than in the previous seven decades. So we accept it as normal now. Nuke, 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 nuke. Oh, uh, isn't that Joe Biden on, on television? What's he talking about? Oh, don't worry. It's just uh, nuclear Armageddon. Oh, OK. Uh, it used to be that in the Cuban Missile Crisis, you had like a few days of nuke talk and then everybody like sobered up and it went away. So you have to be pretty. Now, this is a, this is an escalation. Whoever did it wants to escalate the Ukraine thing. And move it, in fact, beyond Ukraine so that now other states are, you know, Danish territory has been contaminated. Then you have the amount of money. 60, uh, I think it's gone up from, it was 68 billion last time I looked. I think there's been another billion or two thrown in the pie. But let's say 60, uh, 68 billion. That's more, the total Russian military budget for 2021 was 66 billion, right? Russia is a military superpower on annual expenditures of $66 billion for 2021. But Joe Biden gave in half the time, in just seven months, has given that much money to Ukraine. I don't know what, I don't really know. I don't, I don't, you, you have to believe that these guys know what they're doing and that they can keep the lid on this thing. But but Joe Biden tends to say things that happen. He said that, uh, you know, if uh, if uh, Putin's tanks rolled into uh, Ukraine, then there wouldn't be a Nord Stream pipeline. And lo and behold, six months later, 
There is no Nord Stream pipeline. Oh, he just got lucky. He doesn't know what he's saying. He's completely demented. The best evidence that the Americans weren't involved in taking out the Nord Stream pipeline is that he boasted he was going to do, take out the Nord Stream pipeline. Oh, OK. So, like, the greatest reassurance that there's not going to be nuclear Armageddon is that Joe Biden is uh, saying we're on the edge of nuclear Armageddon. But, but, uh, but uh, you know, like with the pipeline, the pipeline did get blown up. So when he talks about nuclear Armageddon, even if he's got nothing to do with it, there might be a nuclear Armageddon. I don't know. I don't know. These are strange uh, times. Mike says, Mark, prior to the current mania in hospitals, schools and elsewhere to push gender-affirming surgery, there was just a few years ago a rush of legislation in leftist states to ban conversion therapy where gay, bi and lesbian citizens, mostly adults and middle-aged people, sought to lead heterosexual lifestyles for the purposes of other life goals or to save their marriages. But such treatment was banned under the theory that even middle-aged people were being coerced by others for nefarious purposes, and that the unwitting patient was being harmed by the practice, despite it including uh, no surgical, hormonal, or pharmaceutical elements. It is largely within these same states and cities that banned conversion therapy that now push via coercive measures in schools and hospitals, the irreversible measures of bodily mutilation on primarily adolescents. If conversion therapy is dangerous and must be banned, how on earth is gender-affirming care not a hundred times as dangerous? Well, you're asking for logic, Mike. And the fact is that for the left, uh, the left is outcomes-oriented. And they think it's very... We, you know, we this comes up every so often. We did a trans uh, story on um, on on Thursday in reference to a charity whose trustee had given the keynote address at a uh, to a paedophile group, uh, and we're all supposed to be surprised <laughs> that uh, some, that 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 people who like mutilating little children's bodies or turning turning a, uh, a little girl into a boy and people who, you know, that someone who likes removing the breasts of a female so that she has no breasts. And you can see this all over the Internet now. There are websites where people show where, where girls, girls, middle school girls show their mastectomy scars. We are a sick and decadent and actually, frankly, uh, evil society. There's nothing uh, gender affirming or affirming in any way about that. But, you know, all kinds of people, no, it, it, all the all the all the clever sayings. You know, I wish I had known at uh, twenty what I knew at forty. We all go through turbulent years uh, in late childhood, and and we do things that we wouldn't dream of doing twenty or forty years later. And actually, I think I th gave it as a throwaway line to Leilani last night, but actually I think one of the consequences of this is that we there will be uh, a lot fewer homosexuals, that there will, that people who would have been well-adjusted, reasonably well-adjusted lesbians or gay men 
will instead become physically mutilated, freakish, uh, trans people. You're quite right to say this is just there's people who, you know, are attracted to, uh, you know, oh, there's a bloke. He wants to have sex with other blokes. Uh, well, actually, maybe he, he also wants to enjoy other aspects of life. I, I knew a chap like uh, this. He was a close friend of mine. He was he was basically uh, homosexual. But he, he wanted to marry and have children for whatever reasons. Actually, there's a lot of, um, uh, lot of uh, you know, Vanessa Redgrave's husband, the uh, Tony Richardson, the father of um, Natasha Richardson and Jolie Richardson, the great acting family. He, he basically, he died of, he wound up dying of AIDS. He liked having sex with men, but he, he wanted to have a wife and have uh, children. Um the Marquis of uh, Dufferin, whose whatever it was, great great grandfather was Governor General of Canada. He liked to uh, go out hitchhiking on the M1 and uh, pick up uh, pick up truck drivers and the like, and have a bit of rough trade. And as a result, he died of AIDS, and it extinguished his marquisate. But he he loved his wife after a fashion. And and would have liked to have found a way that his appetites could be controlled. That's actually not so unreasonable. And you can laugh at all these conversion therapy and the pray away the gay and all the rest of it. But there are certainly circumstances in which instead of uh, uh, surrendering to impulses, you might think to yourself, no, that is not the kind of life I, I want to lead. That's the point that Mike is making. Yet we have said, no, 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 no. That's torture. You can't do that. Okay, yeah, we, we're not in the torture business. So you can't have the conversion therapy. You can't do the pray away the gay. You can't do the psychological stuff. Uh, but you can chop little girls' knockers off and then post that on the internet as some kind of positive experience. You can't grow her a penis. You, when, when a boy wants to become a girl, you can do, as Rush used to call it, you can uh, take him into a uh, hospital and perform a chopper dick off of me. And that, uh, that can, that's pretty easy to do. Although as many, which is why uh, boys who wish to be girls are retaining their penises now because they understand actually that, for example, when they, uh, I don't want to go into too much detail here because I know it'll put some of you uh, off uh, off your bangers and mash, but the uh, but when they make the hole, uh, the, the line on this stuff is that it's easier to make a hole than a pole. And that's true. They don't make very good poles. You can ask all these girls who become boys, whether they make good poles. They don't. Uh, so they invert it and they make, uh, you know, they invert uh, the scrotal sac and make some kind of vagina. But that vagina actually in medical terms is a wound. And, you're, and it's actually very difficult because the wound is trying to, for, for, for the, as soon as you get it done, the wound is trying to do what wounds do, which is close up. So we're performing. Now, if you're 54 and you want to have a chopper dick off of me, that's fine. If you want to, if you seriously think that's uh, that's what you need to do, you're 54 and uh, you have bodily autonomy and you can come up with uh, whatever 
bit of insanity you want. Whether uh, it's, it, you're quite so confident about doing it at 34 or 24 is a different question. But the idea that you set people on that path when they are in grade school is evil. Those people are not in a position to give informed consent. The little, those little girls, for example, uh, wind up whatever happens. You can, they say, oh, you can reverse it. Oh, don't worry about it. If she changes her mind, we chopped her tits off. Uh, but don't worry about it because uh, she can get a couple of implants if she changes her mind. Yeah, but she's sterile by then. You know, that's the thing. We're sterilizing infants in the pursuit of this. Now, the point Mike makes, the point Mike makes is that there's a contradiction between, oh, it's okay to chop the breasts off a, the vestigial budding breasts of a 13-year-old girl. That's fine. That's great. We don't even need to tell her parents. Uh, she now wants to be called Roger, uh, so we're going to call her Roger, and we're not going to tell her parents that uh, uh, she's now Roger until they come to Parent-Teacher Association, and then we're going to scorn them for misgendering her. That's not psychologically damaging at all. No, no, no. It's not like going off to see, oh, the pray away the gay guy at his, uh, at his little uh, evangelical church. That's psychologically damaging. We have to ban that. The, the left is interested in blowing up all the building blocks of society. This is, again, where the constitutional rubbish doesn't help, because there are certain consistent building blocks for functioning societies all over the world throughout human history, such as the family, such as human biology. And uh, when you blow up those pillars... The assumption is that, uh, by the left, is that they will build something in the void, the Western left. In fact, they won't. It'll just mean it, it will be a void, and that void will be filled by conventional things, such as Islam or Chinese communism, or anything that doesn't put every aspect of reality up for grabs. Uh, David Watson said, how's Europe doing with their energy shortage and is it likely to alter their climate obsession? No, because they haven't made the connection of these things. Look, it hasn't altered their COVID obsession. If you look at what uh, Ellen was saying about uh, the CACs, they did punitive lockdowns, were rewarded for Lockdowns is why we've got inflation. Tanking the economy is why we're screwed. Uh, there's no money to spend because we spend it all during lockdown paying people to do nothing. The leftist scheme at least always used to be, oh, we're, we're going to throw money at people to invest in green technology. We're going to uh, throw money at, uh, at, at people uh, to invest in uh, some form of subsidy of uh, light rail or whatever. Well, they've gone way beyond that now. Oh, we're going to throw money at people to do bugger all just to sit at home. And then they're surprised by the mess we're in. But those European, European uh, uh, countries, a lot of them are so psychologically... You know, talk about psychologically damaging, telling people the planet's going to end in 10 years' time. 
you can't you can't you can't hold a prey away the gay session. Um, but uh, but if you want to tell psychologically damaged people by telling them that uh, the planet's going to burn to hell in 10 years, terrify all these kids. Look at like, look at Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg, you never mind the transitioning. She doesn't need to transition. She's she's basically a very representative of a generation that was forced into transitioning into full blown crazy on this stuff. Mike Riddle. It's a Mike Riddle. Mike Riddle. Ah, uh, I, uh, I, uh, uh, what do I, oh, I was thinking of Nelson Riddle. <laughs> I think Nelson Riddle's son is called Mike. I think I heard him on uh, being interviewed on the radio when it was uh, Nelson's uh, centennial uh, a year or two back. Mike Riddle says, Mark, you say that if you're not talking about China, then we're not talking about nothing serious. However, hasn't that shifted with the threat of World War III and concurrent global thermonuclear war now hanging over our heads? That is, as a more immediate matter, if we're serious now, shouldn't we talk, be talking about how to avoid it's the end of the world as we know it? Even the moth-eaten sock puppet husk of a president that we have yesterday mentioned that the risk of nuclear Armageddon is at the highest level since the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis at a fundraiser for the Democrats attended by the rich and famous. Well, the, fa the thing to remember uh, is that Joe Biden is a Chinese asset. You only have to skim those emails on Hunter Biden's computer to know that the Chinese understand that they're dealing with, quote, the Biden family, unquote. Sometimes it's explicit, 10% for the big guy and all the rest. But they got like, uh, you know, nobody would give $6 million to Hunter Biden. But if you give $6, billion, $6 million to Hunter, Joe and Jim Biden, then you might be actually buying something. Hunter is by far the least important member of the Biden family. He is useful only as a conduit. That's why this whole, oh, Hunter, 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 he may be copping a plea for having lied on his uh, gun purchase application. Oh, wait a minute. His dad and his uncle are assets of the Chinese Communist Party. Who the hell cares if he pays a fine for lying on some bureaucratic permit? Uh, anyway, uh, Biden went on to say that his administration is trying to figure out a solution, says Mike Riddle. What a comfort. I also feel reassured knowing that the U.S. government is no longer just shoveling more borrowed money at Ukraine, but also investing in the latest anti-radiation sickness meds. Uh, will there be a mandate for taking these, I wonder? Yeah, I wonder who's making this anti-radiation sickness medicine. Is it Pfizer by any chance? Um, will equity require that they first be given to the people of color survivors of the apocalypse? Or has Kanye perhaps struck a note that white lives matter too? Elon Musk also talked about the war in Ukraine this week and he had a novel idea. How about we actually consider input from the folks that live in the Donbass, Crimea, and other effective areas? Sounds like a great idea to me, but what say you? <laughs> uh, there's, there's um, you know, we, we are... 
as you say, we are dancing on the precipice and have been now for months. And as I said, I look at it with the Neil Oliver thing that they are doing this because they want it to be so. So they want us dancing on the precipice. Do they want us going over into the precipice or are they hoping they just as after a bit of dancing on the edge, they can then pull us back? You know. By the way, what happened to the left, says Mike Riddle? They used to be all give peace a chance. It's one, two, three. What are we fighting for? Uh, and I ain't no senator's son, but that's all gone, it seems. Intr- well, we played uh, Dear Uncle Sam uh, 20 minutes ago. Uh, interestingly, the 123 song even got an update some years ago for the Iraq war, but not for today's Ukraine Armageddon, it seems. So I humbly offer. Oh, you've written a full scale parody lyric here and it's one uh, what, what is it? it's the um uh, ain't no time no i'm trying to remember it's the old that old song from the 20s that mcguire sisters uh brought back you hear that come on ramble oh, oh the muskrat ramble that's what it is isn't it that's the tune and it's one two three what are we fighting for don't ask me i'm diving neath my desk as the nukes fall round her desk. That's that's not bad. <laughs> uh, oh, you're talking about duck and cover now. He goes, duck and cover is back. <laughs> Five, six, seven, open up the pearly gates. Yeah, it ain't no time to wonder why. Yippee, well, gonna die. <laughs> what the F is going on? You don't F with a Biden because the Biden family. Uh, Chinese assets, F with us. Best regards from Mike Riddle. I, I'm in the mood for the Maguire sisters and muskrat ramble now. I never liked the uh, fixin' to die rag uh, as it was turned into a war song. Uh, a little bit more music to close, though. Not that. Uh, there was another American songwriter who died in recent days, not as famous as Loretta Lynn, Ivy Joe Hunter. Sounds a bit like a white female country singer, Billy Joe Spears, Ivy Joe Hunter. But in fact, he was a black soul and R&B guy. Mr. Hunter died yesterday at 82, a black keyboard player at Tamla Motown Records who took to songwriting for Berry Gordy's in-house artists. If you like Motown, you'll know his big hits. Loving You is Sweeter Than Ever and uh, Dancing in the Streets. But this was always a favorite of mine. The concept is not fully fleshed out, but it's an arresting title and it certainly resonates these days. The Marvelettes. Speaking of nuclear Armageddon, danger, heartbreak, dead ahead.
There is danger and heartbreak dead ahead. You got that right. The Marvelettes with a marvellous song by William Mickey Stevenson, Clarence Paul and Ivy Joe Hunter, who died on Thursday. You know who likes that song? And in fact, uh, made a record of it when she was getting started. Singing and underlining the danger ahead with her slide guitar, Miss Bonnie Raitt. features this weekend at Stein Online, The 100 Years Ago Show, Rick McGuinness's movie pick, Stein's Song of the Week, a special Sunday edition of The Mark Stein Show, and uh, don't forget our Seven Aid Radio Song of the Week uh, either uh, at uh, 5.30pm British Summertime on Sunday. Stay safe, stay free. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media.
All rights reserved. 